0: If we recognize that we have a part of us that isolates and withdraws, and then we say, hey, there is somebody who I feel safe with, who I wanna take risks with, who I'm gonna be wise about choosing to maybe expose myself and really become vulnerable and take that risk. What that experience is gonna do is it's actually gonna make us feel better.
1: I'm Ted Robertson. Welcome to the Second Mondays Behavioral Health Podcast with Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center's Director of Behavioral Health, Kirsten Belair. Second Mondays is about human connection and healing. It's for those receiving treatment and those in need of treatment. Kirsten graduated from the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs with her Master's in Clinical Mental Health Counseling. Her role at Mount Carmel is to ensure that the behavioral health services offered are culturally competent, military-specific, and accessible to a range of clients who might not otherwise have access. And a reminder as we get started, if you need non-crisis mental health assistance, call Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center at 719-309-4758, that's 719-309-4758. If you're in crisis. Dial 988, then press 1 for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, or the Veterans Crisis Line at 800-273-8255, or Colorado Crisis Services at 844-492-8255. And of course, if it's a medical emergency, dial 911. What a privilege this is, Kirsten. I, I know I, we probably say that a little bit every time we get together. It's it's only once a month, seems like. It should be more, but sometimes less is more. Yeah. We're going to prove that right now. (laughs) We have been getting some wonderful feedback from folks who are affirming the messaging that you're delivering. And I want to circle back to episode three in particular, when we talked about when your own defenses get in your way. I'm going to let you take it from here.
0: This was a veteran, and they were just sharing how they've seen so many people who just try and cope alone and deal with their service and the experiences that they had during their serving time alone and then go through the transition and how much of a challenge that can be and how, um, in their particular opinion, just talking to somebody can be so helpful because, again, we can get stuck in our own minds and in our own circular thinking. And so being able to share and get it out and have uh, a non judgmental and an unbiased person, be able to just hear and hold space for that exploration is very crucial to some people.
1: In that person's communication, that really popped out. Was that don't do this alone. An objective third party can really uh, be quite a breakthrough for you, just revelatory for you.
0: It can be, yeah.
1: And Uh, that's what we want.
0: Absolutely. I mean- more and more, yes. Anything that will help people recover and live more fulfilling lives, and not choose um, whether it's the the coping that has long term negative consequences, or whether it's like that's drinking, drugs, whatever you know, mm-hmm. um, or you know, taking their life.
1: Uh, yeah, that's that's a a decision you can't come back from,
0: right? It is a permanent solution to a temporary problem is the way I've heard it a long time ago. And it just stuck with me.
1: There it is. That message is resonating. So congratulations, Kirsten. We're on episode six now and we're going to keep going and um, hopefully help more people. But we love your feedback. We invite your feedback. Yes. Uh, Kirsten, what's a good way to receive that feedback? You can comment at veteransvoice.us on the second Monday's podcast posts. You can comment there. And uh, of course, Kirsten will respond right away. Is there another good way to give you feedback?
0: Absolutely. Um, I mean, you can feel free to email me and maybe Ted, you can put it in the podcast notes or something like yep, that, we'll do that. Um, it'll be easier than me phonetically spelling it though i can do it pretty well but <laughs> yeah email me please because i am open to any feedback uh positive or critical and then also if people just want to um be connected with someone who can hear their story and maybe be able to unpack some of the stuff that is getting kind of putrid inside
1: Uh, We're going to talk about something sort of related today to all of that. Defense is getting in your own way. Uh, This will have a lot to do with isolation before you get started. I just want to give everybody a reminder that we will uh, put contact information so that you can provide feedback. If not in the podcast post directly, then certainly by email to Kirsten. That will, if you are listening, just scroll down. You'll see Kirsten's email address and please do offer your thoughts. And of course, Anything that any of you would like Kirsten to cover, that is why she is here, right? Absolutely. So isolation can become a big problem.
0: It can be, yeah. So in the DSM, which is um, the mental health Bible, if you want to call it that, right? It's it's our diagnostic manual that we follow. uh, For the post-traumatic stress disorder, um, you need to have certain qualifiers, And one of those qualifiers or indicators is what they call withdrawal or isolation. And so just to clarify, just because somebody is withdrawing or isolating does not mean that they have PTSD, right? All of us withdraw and isolate to some form or fashion uh, in our lives. It's just a, hey, I'm tapping out. I need to step back. I need to maybe reconvene my thoughts, process some of what I'm experiencing and feeling, Um, however it is one of the indicators for PTSD and so I wanted to cover that today because we work with quite a few veterans and people who've experienced traumas and now experience that post-traumatic stress that has endured and lasted longer than a regular-ish and I hate to regular like it's a specific time frame right but it it has lasted longer than a uh, more average recovery time. And so now they're sitting maybe years later and they're still having pretty significant symptomology. And again, one of those is withdrawal and isolation. And when we were talking about the defenses in episode three, I mean, withdrawal and isolation is a huge one. And it's actually really interesting if you look at it. And the way I like to phrase it is to say, there is a part of us that is withdrawing and isolating. And that part of us has a job. And we learn from our childhoods, we learn from maybe being bullied in school, we learn from the hard lessons and and experiences that we have as adults, traumas, etc. How to navigate, cope, or basically... Um, reduce the risk of us exposing ourselves to that type of painful experience and painful learning. And so one of the ways that people do that is isolation and withdraw. So let's get a little bit more specific on the isolation and withdrawal. So what does that mean? Well, that could be, for example, um, I'm going to disengage from, meaning disconnect, from conversations and social interactions with people that I care about. And I'm just going to go and sit somewhere and just watch TV or game or read or just listen to music or do nothing, right? So we're actually physically separating ourselves in one form or fashion. Or for example, the phone rings and it's somebody who you know loves you or cares about you and you're not going to pick up because you're like, eh, I'm not engaging. Now, this isn't always a bad thing, because some people refuel this way. The classic term is introversion, like introverts, right? And a lot of there's I think there's a lot of misunderstandings with um, introversion. So introverts actually refuel and recharge by unplugging is the way that I like to think of it, right? So if you're more of an introvert-ish, you're likely going to feel way better after you've spent a few hours just reading or just being outside alone or not talking and not being stimulated. That's a recovery time. It's actually very good for you. However, withdrawal and isolation is different because what it does is it's keeping you from accessing or getting the things that you need. So another way to look at it is we all need food and nourishment to survive, yes? However, if I am keeping myself from being able to nourish myself by not eating, then I'm actually doing damage to myself long-term, right? Because we need food. So part of us as social creatures uh, is that social connection. And if we're not nourishing ourselves that way, and we're not allowing connection with others, then it becomes potentially pretty toxic. Um, And we feel very alone. And like you were saying earlier, just that kind of uh, mindset that we get into where it's an echo chamber in your head I mean, sometimes we can figure stuff out on our own, which is fantastic, and sometimes we will get stuck in a loop of thinking, and it's hard for us to get out unless there is maybe somebody else to disrupt that cycle of thinking or to throw a wrench in it or just to have another perspective um, that might help us release from that just, yeah, negative mental cycle. So in addition to that, it's not just the physical, it's the emotional too, right? So part of the isolation and withdrawal could also be, man, I wish I had somebody right here that I could laugh with, or I wish that I had somebody that I could wrap my arms around or put their arms around me. Um, I wish that I could just talk to somebody about what I'm thinking and feeling and just be heard. like As as humans, I think there's a huge part of us that really, really, really desires to be heard and to be seen. And so if I'm not answering the phone, if I'm not allowing myself to engage in connections that make me feel um, not alone, like I'm not on this island by myself, to me that can sometimes be that isolation and withdrawal. And another way that we can isolate and withdraw is even honestly to a degree from ourselves. And what that can mean is it's going to sound a bit like avoidance because it is, but it's this idea of I'm having emotions, but I'm going to totally disengage from them. I'm not going to allow myself the cathartic release or that ability to just let those emotions flow through. Um, I'm just going to kind of shut myself down and isolate myself. or I'm going to isolate myself in my logic mind. And I'm just going to be so logical that I don't even touch the heart. I don't connect with what I'm feeling inside um, because it's vulnerable and it's risky. And it's, I've been hurt there before. So when we kind of dig in more to the isolation and withdraw, I think, again, like I said earlier, all of us do this to a degree, right? Um, I remember sometimes I would just drive into the mountains alone and just listen to my music and I would just, I would process and I would just be with myself and that was okay. Right. I was able to disengage, yes, I was withdrawing, yes, I was isolating, but it was a nurturing and caring thing for myself and rejuvenating and refueling so that when I came back and I engaged then with family or friends or in my job, I was coming back better. But if I was going out in the mountains and I was isolating and withdrawing, likely I wouldn't be feeling rejuvenated, I wouldn't be feeling better. I'd be feeling worse. I'd want to disconnect more um, because that part of ourselves that isolates and withdraws as a defense is saying, do not connect. Do not expose yourself. Do not become vulnerable because connection um, and vulnerability is risky and it's painful. That's what our lessons have taught us. And so we're going to do everything in our power to protect ourselves from that vulnerability and that risk. The interesting thing, though, is that the part of us that wants to isolate and withdraw sometimes forgets how wonderful it feels to really be able to be vulnerable and connect with somebody in deep and intimate ways. And I'm not, when I say intimate, I'm not even talking necessarily um, sexually or mm-hmm. anything like that romantically. I mean, it can be for sure. That's one of the ways that we experience intimacy. But also, just again, that knowing and being known by somebody else is powerful and showing and sharing and exposing your true self being almost transparent. Um, and then not being rejected in that is one of the most pleasurable feelings I've personally ever felt. And I hear from the clients that we work with that it's along those lines for them too. It's very pleasurable and it often reduces some of that suicide ideation. So I was actually listening um, to a podcast a while back, and this uh, professional was saying, you know, connection is basically the um, solution in a way from for suicide. And, I mean, that makes sense because when we're not feeling alone, We feel connected. We feel like we have purpose. We feel like we're seen and heard and we're seeing and hearing others. And we're not in that kind of echo chamber, as you said earlier. And suicide doesn't have to be the solution anymore. It's more like I'm going to lean on people instead of I'm going to lean away from.
1: As a culture, we're learning to recognize the signs because finally, after a very long time, this Kicking and screaming, sometimes this discussion is being drug out of the shadows. And a favorite example of mine is an interview that we did here on Veterans Voice not long ago with a special forces operator who shared how successful uh, connection is and how life-saving it is in real time. His wife had been gone for several days on a business trip. He was by himself and he found himself sinking. And sinking and lower and lower and lower and really couldn't explain it and couldn't stop the free fall. And he knew where that was heading. And he reached out to his wife and they talked for about an hour and a half. Well, while they are talking, she's communicating with all of his other special forces friends. And they converged on his house. Mm. And they surrounded that man. And they loved on him. And they let him talk. And they let him vent. They were there for him.
0: And I love that example because when we have the part of us that sees suicide as a solution, um, it has to get a little bit more quiet when you are converged upon by people who care about you, who say, please stay alive. You matter. I don't want this life and this existence without you. you know, you're know, you precious to me. You're important to me. Um, you're the shiznits. <laughs> 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 I mean, we need that sometimes, right? Yes. So that's brilliant. Yeah. That's brilliant. Um. Yeah. So I think the other thing, too, is when I'm talking about the parts of ourselves, this is an IFS, which is Internal Family Systems Informed Perspective, and the parts of us uh, that we have, basically, it's this concept of we're all born with a part that can feel anxiety, a part that can feel anger, right? Um, But then through certain experiences in our lives, the parts of us may become what we call maladaptive, or in other words, they're just trying to do something for us, but they don't realize it's not really working anymore, right? So for example, if you were raised in a home where you were vulnerable and you – you're a little itty-bitty toddler, right? And you're, you're running around the house and you're just so excited and you engage with mom or dad in this happy, happy way. And then mom and dad had a bad day. And all of a sudden they respond to you with a, hey, knock that off or leave me alone or go away or something like that. Then our intrinsic self, our true self, our vulnerable self, our authentic self, um, feels that kick, feels that deeply. And we can recover. However, if um, if it continues, then what we do is we learn through the painful learning that me showing up vulnerable and transparent and genuinely who I am is not okay because it's getting shut down and rejected. And so there's a part of us that will step in and say, whoa, yeah that's not okay so to keep you safe now let's withdraw let's isolate so now maybe I'm playing in my bedroom more than I would be engaging with mom and dad right and fast forward I'm now in school and maybe I'm like ooh, yay I get to make friends and try and be myself again right and then you have the friends who of course because they're kids and to a degree immature (laughs) They may respond to you in negative ways and give you some harsh words about just you being you. So again, then, to cope, that part of us steps in and says, ho, 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 see, anytime you're vulnerable and you take a risk and you're authentic, you get judged, you get shut down, you get teased, you get criticized. So let's not do that. Let's just step back and not engage with people because they hurt us. And this works. Like the parts of us that step in, honestly, typically have very good intentions deep down. But they don't realize, for example, now this all of a sudden we're adults and we're finding somebody that we want to be in a romantic relationship with, right? We want to connect. And that person is saying to us, I want to attach. I want to connect with you. I want to know and be known by you. And that part of us comes in and says, uh uh do not do that it is a risk. And this is where we'll hear, I hear quite often in some relationships, um, somebody saying, I just want to know what you're feeling. I just want to know you. I just want you to open up and share with me. And the other person is going basically, no, (laughs) no, you're, you're not even getting that close. And they'll have maybe some reasons or maybe some not reasons, but they keep themselves disconnected. Does that make sense? So um it's a it's a detriment to relationships and again in my head i'm thinking of course though it makes sense because we learn these painful lessons but if we don't recognize that we have this part then we're not able to do anything about it meaning maybe i'm going to choose somebody in my life who is trustworthy who i truly am safe with and that doesn't mean perfect and i just want to be very clear about this I've heard people say, hey, man, one and done. You know, you, you hurt me once and you're out. And for me, in my opinion, this is just Kirsten, that breaks my heart because we're human. And it is absolutely a for sure, as well as death and taxes, like a promise that people are going to do something that's going to hurt you in some way. And it doesn't have to be egregious but it's going to be something, and is there? It, it's likely not their intention to hurt you. But darn if they won't. I mean, you've done it. We've all done it where we've said something or missed something or whatever, and then somebody's upset with us, and we're like, whoa, wait a second. I had no idea because our intention wasn't to harm, but it did hurt somebody. So it is inevitable that in relationships there's going to be some ouchies. So the if we recognize that we have a part of us that isolates and withdraws, and then we say, hey, there is somebody who I feel safe with, who I want to take risks with, who I'm going to be wise about choosing to maybe expose myself and really become vulnerable and take that risk. Then that person, um, let's say, if if it's a good person and wise person, they're not going to be perfect. But hopefully what that experience is going to do is it's actually going to make us feel better and more connected and I know I keep saying connected. I wish the English language had a little bit of a different word and maybe I'm just not drawing it up, but it's it's even more than a connection. It's a it's almost like um a spiritual and emotional tie, a binding, um a shared just existence that you can feel deeper than your logic mind can. And that again feels so amazing and brings so much pleasure. And the more that we have that type of evidence happening in our lives because we're taking the risks to increase vulnerability and intimacy, then the part of us may have a more difficult time going, hey, maybe we should isolate because now the evidence is saying, well, maybe we could not isolate and actually feel better in a different way.
1: Is bond another way to say this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that strong enough? I, I kind of like the way you described because because that, that's in the ethereal realm. Yeah. Uh, it's not tangible, but you do feel it.
0: I mean, it makes sense, right, that we communicate with a purpose for mm-hmm. a reason, right, to get potentially our needs met. I'm
1: not sure we always know why.
0: Right. (laughs) Well, I know Kirsten does that sometimes. I don't know why. I'm just saying something, and then people are like, why are you saying that? And I'm like, well, shit, I don't know. It just came out of my mouth.
1: Somebody listening does know. Yes. Maybe. Please please tell me if you know. Yeah, right. (laughs) But you've surrounded yourself with good people who can actually do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And also one of... uh, one of the lessons that I learned too is I I tend to be more on the verbal processing side. So years ago, I would have definitely tested high on a extroversion um, scale, if you want to call it that. And I was also a verbal processor. But what I didn't realize was that I wanted people to hear me, but I would bombard and overwhelm because I couldn't shut up. Hmm. I needed to slow down. I needed to become more succinct with what I was trying to say and clear with what I was trying to say and ask. Otherwise, people would just stop listening. And I don't blame them because if you have a lecturer in your life, and I'm sure people who have lecturers in their lives hopefully will be nodding their heads when I say, We're just like, oh my God, please stop. Like, are it's been 5 10 20 30 40 it's an hour are you kidding me right now I'm a and you lost me at minute 2 you yeah, know yeah. so um, i think in the it, the communication piece and the connection piece is meant to be transactional i'm talking about it right now from a one-way street which is us maybe um, having the part of us that isolates and withdraw step back to where we're stepping forward and leaning in to relationship and bonding and connection. But that is more one way um, because we also need to ensure that we are welcoming and creating space for somebody else to do the same. And if we're always leaning in, then people sometimes are constantly leaning away because we can become overwhelming. So I think about a lot of couples that I've worked with and One of the communication challenges that it seems to be more common than not is where one of them is a lecturer, and so they want to have a conversation about a conflict, something that's not going right. And the one person wants to be heard. And so they're going to talk and talk and talk about it. And they're going to talk about why they want to talk about it and why they think this way. And, you know, all of this evidence and preponderance of stuff or whatever. And uh, they're going to deliver that. And then the other person is supposed to sit there and listen. And then the other person, if they're anything like me, might have gotten stuck on something that they said in minute two. And now we're at minute 15. And I haven't listened to anything for the last 13 minutes right? And so then the other person is like, I just want this to be over. I just want it to be done. Oh my gosh. Okay. You want me to freaking do the laundry on Saturdays? Gotcha. And then the other person's going to keep going, right? Um, so one person wants to just shut it down and be done with it. And the other person is like, I want to speak and speak. And they're they're attempting to express something. And so it's just this disparity, um, and then, even in those conflicts, you may have the isolation and withdrawal part that's going to want to disengage. Either a because the speaker isn't being heard, and they're like, "You know what? I'm throwing my hands up. Forget this. I'm out. You're not listening to me. You never listen to me. You don't care.
1: You don't care. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And or the other person might be like, you know, I I'm done. I'm I'm done with this conversation. We're not talking about it anymore. I'm shutting it down. You know. So it's just fascinating because, again, those parts are attempting to do something for us. It could be they're attempting to protect us because we were trying to be vulnerable and then we felt unseen and unheard and maybe not understood. And then the other person, you know, their isolation withdrawal part could be stepping in and going, oh, my God, this is too much. It's overwhelming. This reminds me of sitting there when my parents used to lecture me. This feels like crap. I'm out, you know. Yeah. So again, the part is usually trying to do something helpful, but it doesn't always see that it's a, in a, in the attempt to help and maybe doing something that's antithetical and or opposite of what we really need. Because what we really need is connection. What we really need is solution to this laundry problem, <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> My poor wife. It's It's been probably 20 years ago now. We both remember the day, though. I'm a fixer. Okay. You come to me with a problem and I'm ready with, and it's a little verbose. And so we know the ground rules now, Ted, say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need a repair. I don't need yeah. fixing. Yeah. I just need to get this out. Right. And in one of those sessions, it was epic. It happened once. It hasn't happened like it since. Uh, it was two and a half hours. And my <laughs> wife is the sweetest, kindest, most demure and gentle soul you will ever meet. And two and a half hours later, she yeah. was thanking me for listening. And boy, did she need to unload. And she yeah. did.
0: I think, you know, the that's the other thing, too, is sometimes we can recognize what we need. And sometimes we're not fully understanding what we need. So, for example, when she came home... She didn't like you said. She didn't need you to fix it. She didn't need you to even reflect anything that you were hearing her. She just needed a warm body that was going to be looking at her and maybe nodding his head, and she just she could just verbally process, and that's all she needed. Mm-hmm. And you knew that, and then it was helpful and it was successful. But D-
1: let me correct you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I <I'm laughs> didn't fixer, know at the time. <laughs> I did not
1: know or accept that. Yeah, <laughs> she just said quiet. Yeah. It's, I'm talking. Yeah. You, I don't need you to do anything. I just yep. need you to listen. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in my case. Yeah. But otherwise, I, I completely no, agree with you. No, I love that. You. Yeah.
0: And I think that the difference, too, is there, to me, there's a difference between listening and listening to understand. I can listen to a lot of things, I can mindlessly listen to things. Um, but if I'm listening to understand, typically what that means is, Uh, either I need to take notes, Hmm. if you're lecturing, for example, and you're just outputting and outputting and outputting and I can't ask questions or have clarifiers, I've got to sometimes like take notes and write down my questions or whatever, and then we can roll back. Otherwise my brain's going to get stuck. Um, Or you're wanting something of me and I need to be listening to understand in order to potentially attempt to meet that need. Um, or what you, whether I can't, you know, but I need to be listening to understand instead of just listening as somebody, just what we call sometimes a verbally vomit. Mm -hmm. Cause that person doesn't really need maybe listening to understand. They just need again, a warm body. They just need to verbally process and get it out. They don't need somebody to fix it. They don't Mm -hmm. need somebody to give them advice. They're just like, just shut up. (laughs) And I just need to, but it, it feels better to have a warm body instead of talking to a wall. You know, like yeah. I could come home and just verbally vomit on the wall. Yeah. Eh, it's not the same. Um, so I, I think about the attempts in communication and, and connection. And again, there's not a one size fix all and there's not a one lesson that will teach us forever because as long as you've been with your wife, this is the one memory that both of you really remember. And I'm sure that there's been plethoras of other different interactions that you've had where she actually needed you to listen to understand in a way because she might've needed some feedback from you or she needed some assistance or some advice, or she wanted you to change something, which is very different than just listening to allow somebody to just verbally process whatever they're processing. The
1: the latter is a, is a, a, um, very short conversation in my relationship mm-hmm. when she is is there, wants something to be changed or wants some advice or guidance. Or it's, it's usually a, a question, a little bit of background. And then she's she's ready to, to listen for answer mm-hmm. and, and provide feedback. And there's some repartee that goes on there. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we arrive at a place where she's at least equipped to go back to the situation the next day or whenever that's going to be and decide how she wants to deal with it.
0: And again, right there is, to me, the prime example of uh, the defensive isolation and withdrawal that's not helpful versus one that is. So what you just said was one that is is when I can disengage and disconnect and think about it and process it and then come back anew, refreshed, more strategic, more regulated in my emotions, and then we can have a better conversation. That to me is different than what I was talking about, like with the the PTSD former version of isolation and withdrawal, which is I disengage, but I never come back and I stay isolated and withdrawn. And then I get into my maybe stinking thinking, and all of a sudden I'm thinking of all of these ways that you don't care about me, that you haven't shown up, that nobody loves me, I'm not worthy. Um, I'm always going to be alone, blah, 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 blah. And there's nothing to combat that type of thinking, and there's no one to combat that type of thinking if I'm staying stuck in my room all alone and not engaging at all, right?
1: Echo um, chamber. Yeah. And my wife calls that perseverance.
0: Perseverance. Great. <laughs> I love that, though, because if you do have a part of yourself that perseverates, I think I'm using that right. Y'all, just so you know, if I, if I don't use word, words right, please... Just give me some grace You're in on, that because sometimes you are I, on point, I try and make adjectives out of words that shouldn't be made into action adjectives, whatever, uh, descriptors. Oh my it works. It's, it's endearing. Oh my goodness. Um, but that part of you that perseverates uh, actually, again, is potentially doing something good because I know I'm similar in that way and people who are in relationship with me, and be like, oh my God, Kirsten, you're overthinking. Stop freaking overthinking. Stop just focusing on it. Stop blah, 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 right? However, for a time and season in my life, that was critical that I did that um, because I needed to be super aware and unpack and dismantle situations so that I could for like learn from it and ensure that I would never put myself in that situation again. And so I would perseverate on it. Like I would just focus and, and hypervigilance on it <laughs> yep. and so that I could, I could really be like, okay. And then um, also if I was going into conflict, oh my gosh, I would think 10, ten ways to Sunday. Um, well, what if they say this? Well, what if they say this? And what would, what would I respond? And how would I respond? And you know all this kind of stuff. And it was like preparing for battle because again, it helped me back in the day uh, because if I didn't come in prepared for battle, I would lose and I would lose very painfully.
1: We can give ourselves very bad advice, oh, and yeah. it is based on our fears. Oh, yeah. It's based on our isolating. It's based on our aversion to pain, mm-hmm. even conflict. And so you, that is when it's really necessary to learn from people who have been through situations like yours. Because bottom line, there isn't any situation on the planet somebody else hasn't gone through. Oh, yeah, And we are, it is true, and, and especially in this community. We're, we're not six degrees separated from people who've been through this stuff. It's a dr- about a degree and a half.
0: Yeah, if that sometimes.
1: And I've learned some very artful ways to manage conflict, even sidestep it, even to deflect it, because I don't love conflict. Yeah. I don't want to be in it. I don't want to. I certainly don't cause it if I can avoid it. But right. sometimes you have to address it and mm-hmm. you have to be ready to address it. Where never make it personal. No matter how much they do that, because they're just button pushing a lot of the times because they want to be heard. Yeah. And there's almost always an audience on that side of the table, right? Right. The other thing is always leave them with their dignity intact. If you have one, that's awesome. But hopefully you did it with grace and you Mm -hmm. did it by leaving their dignity intact and not making it personal. I hope that there are some takeaways in that for other people.
0: Oh, man. I mean, me too. And I guess I have no idea what people are going to take away from the conversation, right, that we've had today so far. Um, we're finding out,
1: though. They're yeah, just we're, people we're listening, out. And they're out, telling hopefully. us. Yeah, they're yeah, telling you. Please,
0: please let us know. Yeah. Um, and it would be nice, you know, if if keeping dignity intact would be helpful in uh, critical feedback. However, people get to give their feedback however they want to give mm-hmm. it you know, freedom of speech. And, um, I will try and sift through that. And cause ultimately my, my highest value is to learn. And I know what I have to say is not going to fit everybody and that's okay. And I hope that people know when I'm sharing that I'm really speaking to, um, a group and not the entirety to Mm -hmm. potentials and situations, but that doesn't mean it's the absolute norm truth it's going to happen, right? So everything
1: we're talking around right now is the idea that you have tools and people in your world and techniques and methods and approaches to being able to uh, avoid the things that cause you to want to withdraw Mm -hmm. and to disconnect. The two exact opposite things of uh, what we need other than it being therapeutic yeah, and you're in the right setting. So that speaks loudly and clearly then to if you don't know those things independently. Right. and But you know them now because you've heard Kirsten or this is brand new to you, then find that third person in your world. Find that person who is not directly connected to you that yeah. you can sit down and talk with just like yeah. we talked about with... The whole suicide thing mm-hmm. um, and, and what you're, the person who gave you feedback on episode three said very loudly and clearly, don't waste time. Go talk to somebody yeah. Yeah. who is objective and <laughs> yeah. can give you valid feedback. And yeah. it's probably stuff you haven't heard before. Right. And that truly can be liberating. It can give you freedom. It can help you with understanding. All of those things can be a cathartic. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a much more of a process than it ever will be an event. I would say yeah. probably more on the process side always. Yeah. Because yeah. you're in habits. Yeah. You gotta unlearn some bad stuff in order to get uh-huh. to the good stuff.
0: <laughs> Don't I know? Um, <laughs> I know. But I and and here's here's the the tricky part. If you have a pretty strong isolation isolation and withdrawal part, then guess what your what's gonna be your biggest battle? To reach out, to connect.
1: To engage.
0: Yeah, to engage. And so, like you just said, it, it, it can be the best thing and the wisest solution to engage somehow, some way to where you feel invited. You have somebody in your life who is inviting you to engage, to just be you, to come as you are. Okay, yeah, the 90s song is hitting my head right now. Anyway, come as you are. Um, But then you have to have this part that's like, no, 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 no. So for those of you who have the isolation withdrawal part, I would just encourage maybe being curious, understanding the intentions are good uh, from this part and it may not be serving you so well right now. And so what does that part need to be able to just step back for a moment so that you can actually get your needs met and your needs likely are not to continue in the stinking thinking and the suicide ideations and the depression and all of that kind of stuff, right? Likely um, what you might need is connection and that invitation to experience somebody who just delights in knowing you and connecting with you. Um, And counselors, you know, can be a great uh, person, community I want to say um, then again I know that there's some counselors out there that don't necessarily feel like if you walk into their office they're delighting in seeing you but darn it I wish all of them all of us would I yeah. wish we would that literally it is it is our our pleasure our honor and our delight to journey with you no matter how you're showing up that day um, we're just so glad to see you so
1: uh, and there's a reason for that because you're there, you're in the game, you're engaging, you're saying to your counselor, "I want this. I'm yeah. ready to contribute. I'm ready to make good things happen here. I'm ready to be in the fight, stay in the fight." And uh, if I'm that person, I'm saying to a counselor who's making me feel that way, "Yeah, bless you." Because if they've if you have a counselor that makes you feel like that, yeah, you have the right counselor.
0: Hopefully, yeah, hopefully.
1: You know, people are smart. They they yeah. feel it, they sense it. Oh yeah. And when there is a connection, and you and I've talked about connections between a, a client yeah. and their counselor.
0: Yeah. You know it. Yeah.
1: Because you oh, feel yeah. it. Yeah. And you want to be there. That's a yeah. huge difference. So uh, should should a person be afraid to shop for a counselor?
0: No. Oh my goodness. No. I will say this though. Um, if it's not a fit, then yes, keep keep shopping. However, if you have a counselor, you find a counselor that's going to challenge you, check yourself that you're not stepping like having the avoidant part coming in or the isolation of withdrawal part that's going to be like, "Oh, yeah, no, this person isn't good for me because actually that person could be great for you because you need that challenge. It's scary. It's hard, and it's intimidating, but it's exactly what you need. So if you keep counselor hopping, then, you know, if we look at um, Kind of fractions, you know, you have the common denominator. <laughs> and I've said that in my life. I'm like, what's the common denominator? Well, shit, I am. I am the common denominator. So maybe it's something within me. Uh, but also that doesn't mean that you you need to stop as soon as you find one counselor and then that person you just you don't like, you don't feel safe with, but they're challenging you. Yeah, it doesn't have to be that way either. It's like finding the best blend for you that honors all of the journey. So
1: this is life changing. Yeah. invest the time to find the right counselor. I just
0: want to say, honestly, oh, people, I, just forgive me, but I'm, I'm just going to say it this way. I'm going to say, damn it, because you're worth it. You are worth it. Whoever is listening right now, you are so worth it. Even if your entire life you've been given shit messages that you're not worth it, that you're a failure, that you're a burden, that you've um, struggled and you even see yourself and you're your worst inner critic. Oh, my gosh. Like, I have so many people that I know that are their worst inner critics. But um I just want to be one voice for one moment that says, and I actually watched a movie. I loved uh, this line on the movie, which was, you know, there is somebody somewhere in the world that is glad that you were born and you're worth it.
1: Kirsten, that is an awesome takeaway. That's number one takeaway from today. A couple of others real quick, and then we'll do a a very fast call to action and invite people to join us again the next second Monday.
0: A couple more takeaways. If you are identifying that you do potentially have a part of you that isolates and withdraws, just understand that that part is going to step in. The attempt is to help. However, that part could be getting in your way of the actual help that you really need, which is connection and sharing your story and getting it out and processing and recovering and healing from it. Um, So you're going to have to figure out a way to step Have that part step back for a minute uh, so that you can get the help that you need. And I guess also um, just remember in context, it makes sense when we're able to step back and stop personalizing everything. Everybody's story to a degree. I'll say everybody, but I'll I'll change that. Most people, most people's stories and the the reasons why, and the responses and the reactions, they make sense. They make sense in their context. They make sense because of what they've been through and how they've been raised. Um, and so what you're doing out there probably makes sense in some way too. It's just, is it still serving you? And is it—is it fueling you? Is it recharging you? Is it making your life pleasurable? Or is it defeating you and crushing you and wanting you, like making you want to give up. And of course, we don't want that for you. Everybody always has the ultimate choice, but I hope if you're listening to this and you do think or feel that way or that you do have suicide ideations and that you just feel done, um, that suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And if you look back on your life, I guarantee you, you've experienced at least one thing that you thought was never gonna end, and it did. So use that evidence this, to get the connection and help that you might feel like you need.
1: This too shall pass. Hopefully, right?
0: not hopefully. <laughs> if I'm gonna stand on the island, I'm gonna be like, it will pass. <laughs> Everything <laughs> passes, yeah.
1: Kirsten Belair, uh, Director of Behavioral Health here for Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center. You're listening to the Second Mondays Podcast publish this exactly then, every second Monday of the month. So we'll see you in a month. And for those of you who would like to contribute ideas of things you'd like Kirsten to discuss, by all means, please reach out. If you'd like treatment or services, uh, that contact information is available also in the uh, body of this podcast. And uh, we cannot wait to have your feedback as well. It um, tells us that what Kirsten's world is doing when it touches yours is influencing in a good way, is giving you good information. The message is resonating with you.
0: Unless it's critical feedback, then that's telling us the antithetical message to that, which is fine. We welcome it. In which case we we will practice
1: some introspect.
0: Uh, Yes, of course. (laughs) Polite introspect.
1: Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much. I always enjoy these visits. I'm Ted Robertson. We'll be back the next Second Monday. If you need non-crisis behavioral health assistance, call Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center at 719-309-4758. If you are in crisis, dial 988, then press one for the suicide and crisis lifeline, or call Veterans Crisis Line at 800-273-8255, or Colorado Crisis Services at 844-492-8255. And as always, in a medical emergency, dial 911.